0: Act 5, Scene 1 Stage lights rise. As if upon a gigantic pallet, the whole stage rotates. It turns Faust's study to the back and brings around the other half to reveal this new scene. Another time, another place. It is a plain in northern India, or so you may surmise, seeing elephants being bathed in a river distantly. We are closest to one tent in a large encampment. The flaps of the tent are open to the view of the audience, for it is hot, and what wind the occupant wants wafts weakly. The colors in the stanchions of Alexander the Great are displayed before the door of the tent. Inside the tent, Faustus, is writing at a portable desk. He speaks aloud as he writes, as if to his diaries. Thready water ribbed, Leavings on the shore where the river rubbed. In heavy gauzy air the moon was dull And Faustus, sweating at his desk In dim oil-lamp light, wrote, In wasteland no one tills, On soil dry and obdurate, The rain falling steams Boiling off the hot rock and streams in sheets across an alkaline ground and sheds to rushing turbulent streams which rage and raise the rivers choked in roiling mud. The rivers swell and sweep and overflow the arid plains and drown the men below. Destruction by waters that naturally should gift those who thirst for them and are desperate. Death comes sardonically by ironic extremity. Why does God loathe his helpless peoples? To murder them by that which is necessity. Water drowning a thirsty child, erasing life which it engenders. The deluge is the most wicked allegory of the truth. We are not loved by God. But that lesson is not truth to these forlorn people who do not take the irony of God for his cruelty, nor indifference, nor perversion of his purpose. I met a man who had survived this deadly flood, lost everything, his wife, his child, out of his arms, swept from him even as they clung to him, trying to keep them, to hold them in the waters that overwhelmed and separated them, disappeared beneath the torrent, washed away. He saw their cries. They were not heard. He saw them choking, drowned, And yet, he did not hate my God. He saw the flood recede, and he with others, even as desolate as he, takes solace in the misery each one eats like daily bread, and share, and comfort each other by what they share. He tells me that this life renews. He does not despair. We came to here by strangest lands Where animals of six legs and seven eyes And more than one head on necks That undulated like snakes On bodies muscled like lions Some winged, some feathered Like birds of prey Or horned and huge like bison Their hide was armored They daunted our weapons Our attacks enraged them and they savaged us our men killed many but many killed our men and no one could eat the horrid flesh of animals like these so we burned the monstrous bodies in giant holocausts of cadavers theirs and ours no difference in rot among the resolute dead the oklatai, who have no hair, are little naked men, round-bellied and round-red-faced, who wear lion's skin, are fierce to fight, attack with staves. They killed a hundred of our men. Repelled, we chase them to their caves and roused the lions tethered at their gates, which chased us till exhausted fell away. Leaving there, we found the Melophagi, the Apple Eaters, who are so called because of fruit they eat, an apple, large as melon, which grows along a twiny vine on ground. And there we met a man all covered with hair, enormous, who terrified all at whom he'd faint. Just the searing glare, the leer of his savage intent was enough to frighten the bravest of our men. Yet Alexander demanded we capture this beast-man. Several at each arm, several at each foot, could not hold him fast. He thrashed and threw them all about like moppets, and they flew and tumbled, cast out, while others leapt into the fray to try to grapple him until, with many blows upon his head, he at last collapsed. They hobbled him and confined him to a circular cage. He glared at them, but did not use words, and growled, eating what was raw, disgusted by what we cooked. Nonetheless, our scholars and would-be wits thought this beast, looking human, could be made human, and they endeavored to teach him speech, gestured and urged him to repeat our words, and tried to coax him to wear clothes like ours. But he remained the animal and seemed incapable of receiving speech or custom, drink or bread, those gifts of the gods which make us human. In a whimsy then, For we were all drunk. Our captain gave an order to offer him a naked woman while we gathered at the cage to wager, to see whether he was more a man than he appeared. But he did not do the expected thing. Instead, he began to eat at her. Terrified, she fled. And when we intervened to rescue her, he screamed at us, now suddenly gabbled in his naive tongue, which he had denied to us. And from the hills responding, resounding, his barbarous utterance, his wild neighbors called men just like him and charged in throngs and although we were 40,000 strong, and they were just a hundred weaponless, our army fled. So Alexander set the marshes on fire, and then the wild men turned and ran. We chased them down and caught another three. But neither food nor drink would any of these receive And in eight more days, all had died. They barked like dogs. They never spoke. I don't believe they had the minds of men. From this region we entered lands of myriad canyon, ravines that rived the rock serpentine and sheer in narrow mazes like a city's narrow corridors, interlocked and puzzling, cliffs of staggering peaks and plumb walls of sandstone layered up lateral vibrant ribbons stripes in dazzling white ochre and orange. into them and went too far we could not escape and wandered amongst those cliffs and were lost we tended toward the treks of water which cut and deepened down their cuts but spread at last and widened where from wall to wall gigantic pine wood grew thousands In a lofty forest, which obscured the walls of the canyon we had discovered, and made a bedded ground soft and seamless, so soft with its million, million needles spread, that we, though forty thousand men, tread its golden, fragrant floor and made no sound. It was so hushed, this wood, as solemn as a temple, which filled with fragrance with the offering of incense, forbade us speech, and so depressed us that Alexander commanded we sing as loudly as we could. But to men's lips came lullabies and laments of love that had been lost, not marches, not swaggering songs of drink and battle. And in the still night, no one sang, but watched their fires silently, each alone in his private melancholy. Men disappeared. We thought they'd run away at last and gone back home. For this place had made us think of wives and children we had left. Men disappeared by going to the darkness for firewood or filtered in the trees when trailing some group of us or descending to a drink beside a brook. We heard a clash of glass like wind chimes or trinkets a woman wore. Then one or many gone were seen no more. No one called their names. We felt afraid. Once, when Alexander went into the darkness in following one of these, I was afraid he would not come back. I did not report his absence, or would alarm his men, and face the darkness all night long to wait. He returned in mists that rose at dawn. I was not sure at him, until I saw his armor's golden sheen, wet with dew. I called for him, and then all knew he'd gone and expressed their awe. He only said, They are not what they seem. No more report could be gained from him, but I heard from others they saw young girls dance, and others saw old men smile, or children play at rushing streams, but only one saw the solitary thing of any given time, and no one could claim witness to prove what anyone said he'd seen for true. now should we ever get out i was certain we were lost alexander looked into the sky tween the cliffs narrowed ahead and pointed there certain of his way our confidence in him was all we had he was believed or else we would despair I traveled at his side, although from time to time he wandered back to brace the trailing line and cheer his men who, furthest behind, felt most despondent. At front, after twenty-two days, we came upon a clearing made by falling trees, in which someone built a tower taller than the peaks that surrounded all we see. No guards were there, and no stair to climb inside. It was hollow, and at the top a bell dully knelled, untethered, droning as its blown, guying, idly swaying, halfway in the air, in chilly breeze, so far away the top could not be seen. Alexander would not go alone, but neither would he ever send another to do what he wanted done or wanted to see for himself. He climbed with three. Axes strung with rope bit the wooden slope that backwards leaned against them. The tower aspired like a pinnacle by its converging walls to a pyramidal apex. They hung, swung in air, and hooked their axes, hauled up and hooked again, no one falling. Then at the peak, Alexander rang the bell, huge, sonorous, consummate. If sound is substance, this sound is mountainous and rooted deep. It filled the hollow tower like a well, and sounded through my body, and purged all thoughts I had. Repelling rapidly, they met our wonderment. What had they seen? Is there any end? Those who'd climbed with Alexander were breathless, urgently talkative. They said they saw the furthest sea. The world's end was near. Alexander looked sad to me. When we walked again that final day, every man said he was accompanied by someone at his side. It differed for each one, and somehow seemed that it should be something he should keep privately, a secret till he died. We left those woods when sun set red against their wall and each of us turned back to see the one he'd left departing through the trees. Alexander seeks the edge of what is known and his men have become afraid of him. His enemy is the enemy he cannot defeat but he won't admit to any limit to his fate Alexander comes in a gathering to Faustus' tent. Gymnosophus, the naked philosophers, had come with him, a group of eight or ten. Alexander said, They tell me to call you by another name than whom I know you are. They said to call you Faustus, whoever that may be. He was amused. He smiled. Winked playfully and japed, Come out, they want to talk to you.